0: Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together this morning as we come into the message. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here together. And we are grateful that we can have fellowship together in your spirit Uh, that we can be united with one heart, one faith, one mind, one baptism. I pray as we come to your word today, as we study the words Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that our hearts would be ignited with faith, with a passion to see your kingdom come and your will be done. I pray that we would recognize the role that we play as we partner with you in prayer. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you guide us and lead us and teach us? We ask these things in your name, Jesus, amen. I think what everybody longs for is to have the world set right. Whether they're Christians or they're not Christians, I think most people are yearning for a world where wrong things are put right. You talk to anybody about geopolitical issues or the things going on in the world, and most of them would say, yeah, the world doesn't seem as good as it should be. It feels like we could make the world a better place. People want a world where wrong things are put right, where injustice is met with justice, where tragedy, sickness, and violence are no more. And most people would acknowledge that the, wor- the way the world is is not the way they would like the world to be. To get a little bit more personal and to maybe drive that home a little bit, when I asked the question, is the world the way it's supposed to be, I think of a story from a few years ago that kind of hits a little bit close to home for me. I'll explain why in a moment. But in January of 2019, a two-year-old girl wandered out of her house in the middle of the night wearing just her pajamas It was in New Hampshire, it was below freezing, and once she was outside the house, she didn't know how to get back into the house, and she died of exposure just outside the door of her home as her parents slept inside. And we might want to blame the parents in a situation like this, but I'll tell you why this kind of hit home for me a little bit. It's because Ava, our middle daughter, when she was two years old, she came out of her room. We didn't know. She knew how to open the door to the outside. She opened the door to the outside, and she was walking into our backyard. Uh, And that was around 11, almost close to midnight, that Ava came out of her room, and I thankfully heard the doors opening. And thankfully, it was summer. And thankfully, our backyard is fenced. But it's a reminder that tragedy can and do happen, senseless, meaningless, terrible things happen in this world all the time. I shared that tragic story with you, and it's a tragic story because it's one of those stories that has no meaning that you can attach to it. It is senseless, meaningless tragedy. And I share that with you because I think sometimes we need to be confronted with the realities of sorrow and darkness and the evil that exists in this world. Because it's actually one of the biggest obstacles to faith. Those who are searching for spiritual meaning will often be stopped in their search by this problem of pain, suffering, and evil. And often it is actually these types of tragedies, these senseless tragedies, like a two-year-old child freezing outside the door of her home, that cause the most problems for people. I think a lot of people can understand humans hurting other humans, as awful as that is, it can be kind of understood. But it's these senseless tragedies and this, you know, sickness that comes out of nowhere and death that cause, you know causes so much heartache that probably cause the most questions, right? The question being, if God is all good and if God is all powerful, then why does a two year old die? That's a good question. And I bring that before you because I'm going, sometimes we can kind of live in our little bubbles when we're not exposed to tragedy and we can forget that all around the world these types of things happen all the time and people want answers. And so as we get a little bit further into the Lord's Prayer, we see that we are called to bring the pain and the suffering and the senseless tragedies and the evil of the world before our Father in heaven. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And right away from this prayer, we get the sense that the world as it currently is, is not the way it should be. And that we need heaven to intercede, we need it to come down and for the presence and the power of God to fix the broken world, for his will to be done here as it is in heaven. And so when someone asks the question, was it God's will for me to be abused? Was it God's will for my child to die in a car accident? The best answer is not, as some might say, oh yes, as mysterious though it is, God made this happen for his purpose and his glory a better and more biblically consistent answer would be this. The world is not as it should be. But God can heal your pain. He can redeem your sorrow. He can walk with you in your trauma and your grief. He did not cause evil to happen to you, but he can make you well. But with so much pain and suffering, sickness, evil in our world, Christians will be asked by others, do you believe God causes this? And when that question is asked, What they're really wondering is back to that first question, is the world the way God wants it to be? Is the world the way God wants it to be? The answer is no. Scripture teaches us that there is the curse of sin on this earth, and that because of the curse of sin, this world and humanity are not all that they were meant to be. God did not desire Adam and Eve to use their free will to sin against him and for the curse of sin to affect all of creation. There is darkness, evil, sickness, tragedy, death, and suffering because humans made a choice to allow these things to enter God's good creation. The story of Scripture uh, after Genesis 3 when sin enters the world is now the the entire story of Scripture is how God will eventually restore and redeem all things back to how they were always meant to be. That's the story of Scripture. How is God going to take what was so fundamentally broken and restore it and redeem it? without infringing upon his, his creation's free will. We can get into a whole thing on that. But we see that Jesus spent a large part of his ministry in this world when he was in the flesh on this earth putting wrong things right because it is not God's desire or plan to have a world that is twisted and bent by sin and evil. In fact, we have a few places in Scripture where, just to go a little bit further into the brokenness of the world, we have a few places in Scripture where it's explicitly stated that the world is influenced not only by evil, but also by evil spiritual beings, maybe more than we would like to think. Paul says, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. John says, we know that we are children of God and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Peter warns, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus, three different times, calls Satan the ruler of this world. And so clearly, the world is broken. There are tragic things in this current world that God is not the author nor creator of. Human sin and the effects of the curse of sin on all of creation, the forces of darkness in the spiritual realm, create a world that is not the way that it should be. So praying, your kingdom come, encompasses a whole lot of things, but one of the things it does is it is a spiritual warfare prayer. It is a prayer to resist the work of the evil one and to bring God's good work to bear on all of creation. I want to look at one story from the Gospels where we see God's heart when it comes to suffering, tragedy, and death. It's from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What does this story teach us about God's desire, God's heart, the way God sees the world? It teaches us that a broken world is not God's desire. People being abused and killed and harmed and even death is not in God's good plan. And it's not God's desire that tragedies and sickness and death would be a part of his good creation. Although God can use suffering for his purposes and he can meet us in sickness and tragedy to bring us close to him, it'd be, I think, wrong to say that it was fundamentally part of God's good plan to have human suffering, tragedy, or sickness be part of his good creation. And this is why we see Jesus doing things like healing the widow's son, healing people, even whole crowds of people, simply out of there's a few places where it says Jesus healed them out of compassion for them. Jesus did not see tragedy evil and suffering and sickness and assume, well, that's just the way my father wanted the world to be, so I'm just going to go about my business. All I need to do is tell them about this father in heaven. He didn't see people and assume that's the way it's supposed to be. He saw this widow's son and in compassion reversed the curse of death. He put wrong things right. When Jesus puts wrong things right, it is him bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. In fact, this is what Jesus says as he begins his ministry. When we say, your kingdom come, what are, we, what are we going back to? Well, Jesus uses this mysterious phrase a lot. When Jesus begins his ministry, he begins the whole ministry by saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus' life is marked by the power of the kingdom of God breaking the grip of the domain of darkness on earth. Sometimes when Jesus would heal people or cast out demons, he would say that this healing was done or the deliverance was done because the kingdom of God had come. Healing and freedom were evidence that the kingdom of heaven was restoring the earth and pushing back the domain of darkness. Jesus points to his work on earth as evidence that the kingdom of God has arrived and is at work. When we say, your kingdom come, what do we mean? One time when the Pharisees say that Jesus is only able to drive out demons because he himself has a demon, they're like, yeah, yeah, the demons listen to you because you have a demon, and then they're, you know, Jesus has this whole discussion with them, but Jesus rebukes them and he says this, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, which it is, it's the Holy Spirit of God that is doing this, then that means the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is pointing to evidence of sending out the demonic, of setting people free from the demonic and saying, this is evidence that the kingdom of God is here. And you can't deny that because you've seen it for yourself. When Jesus sent out his disciples to heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the good news that the kingdom of God had come, he told his disciples this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's something about the healing of the sick that Jesus says this is a sign, now you can tell them the kingdom of God is here, this is the sign, the evidence of it. The Pharisees once demanded to know, well, when is this kingdom of God going to come? Because they're imagining, right, a throne and a king and a kingdom and armies and governments and nation-state borders. And Jesus says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed and people won't be able to say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And so Jesus is telling the Pharisees, yeah, it's not a nation-state. It's not, you know, me on the, on the throne of an earthly throne, He's saying, when I'm here, my presence, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And it's attested to you by the miracles that Jesus performed. And as we saw Jesus telling his disciples, when you heal people and when they go, wow, I can't believe I was healed, you say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So you can't really get away from the fact that healing, forgiveness, deliverance from demonic oppression are all evidence according to Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is at work in this earthly realm. So anytime any of that stuff is, is happening, it's God's kingdom coming. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Make earth like it is in heaven. So the forgiveness of sin, the healing of physical ailments, freedom from demonic beings all give us a a taste or a glimpse into what it will be like when Jesus returns once again to join heaven and earth as a new heaven and a new earth, which is really just a return to what it was in the Garden of Eden, where there's no sorrow, no sin, no sickness, no death, no evil, where God dwells amongst his people forever. And so, when wrong things are put right in Jesus' name and power, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And so, as Jesus is teaching the people about prayer, it's no wonder that he first tells us okay, first you need to remember who God is. He's our Father. And then, what is this God like? What is our Father like? Well, He is holy, and He resides in the heavens. But our very next step is to go to our Father in heaven who is so holy, and Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven where you are. And the theme then that emerges from that part of the prayer is, as we've already said, there are things on this earth that are not as they should be, and we have to ask our Father to put wrong things right. That's actually how Eugene Peterson translated this part of the prayer when he wrote out his message translation of the Bible. He says, this part of the prayer is set the world right. And maybe that doesn't capture all the nuance of your kingdom come, your will be done. It does capture the main point behind it. The world is not right. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, we then ask our heavenly father to put things right. And we see that most of Jesus' ministry here on this earth, when he was in the flesh, was focused on putting wrong things right. And where things were set right, Jesus would then claim, the kingdom of God is here. The wrong has been restored. The, the forgiveness has come. Redemption has come. Healing has come. The kingdom of God has come. So what we see with Jesus' ministry is every time something is put right, the kingdom of God is in our midst. And we get to tell people the reason this occurred is because the kingdom of God is at work in this world. And you can be part of that kingdom. That's the next part, right? Is Jesus wants to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom And we get to be part of that work. But this is what Jesus did. And this is what he told his disciples to do. Right? That's what we read in Luke's gospel. When people marvel at the healing power that in the name of Jesus, you tell them the kingdom of God is here. When wrong things are put right, it is evidence that the kingdom of God is at work. So this means when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we are praying an audacious prayer. Because we are asking for broken things to be put right in this world. And as we pray this prayer, we remember that this prayer is rooted in the work of Jesus. Jesus showed us that he was willing to put right the things that were wrong. Whether it was sickness or demonic oppression, people needing forgiveness of their sins. Jesus puts the world right and continues to do so through his people who follow him today. We know that there are ways that we can partner with God in putting the world right that are very hands-on, very practical things. We know that God's will is for the hungry to be fed, for the poor to be cared for, for widows and orphans to be taken care of. That is so very clear in Scripture. Jesus even says, hey, if you don't look after these people, I didn't know you. You can go to church all you want. You can do all sorts of spiritual things, but if you don't care for the poor, you don't, I was like, I don't know you. So we know that. We know that is God's will, and that's a very practical thing that we can do, very hands-on, tangible. So there's some basic things we can do and pray for the opportunity and the resources to do these things. However, we are also spiritual people inhabiting a world that is both spiritual and physical, and so this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, will often involve praying for God's supernatural power to be released on earth as it is in heaven. It will often involve doing the types of things that Jesus did. and I know there might be some hesitation when I say we will be doing some of the things that Jesus did. You might say, well, how could we do what Jesus did? He's the very son of God. He's divine and we're not. And that's really true. But Jesus himself tells us this very truly. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so we need to kind of make a decision when we read these words of Jesus. Do we take Jesus at face value here? Believing that what he said is true, as hard as it might be to believe. Or do we do some awkward exegetical work to explain it away and be like, well, he didn't really mean we would do the same things he did. He just meant we would do things that are like he did, but not really what he did. uh, Just on a bigger scale, but not bigger as in better. You know, you got to do some really awkward jumping around to explain it away. And I I know that there's a lot of Christians who explain it away. He didn't really mean that. I don't know. It's what he said. So to pray, so Jesus, I think, is actually being pretty clear that we just take him at his word. And then later in John's gospel, Jesus is going to say a prayer for all the people who will become his followers. And Jesus in his prayer says, Father, just as you sent me into the world, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So put this together, we are to do the same things Jesus did, why? Because we are being sent into the world like he was sent, and we are to do the things Jesus did and the work that he does, because this is in some way releasing or bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. So to pray your kingdom come is to pray for God's supernatural power to overturn the darkness and the brokenness of this world. Let me be really honest with you. It is much easier to try and explain away the words of Jesus that we will do what he has done or that we are sent as he was sent. You know, just explain that all away. It's easier to do that. It makes prayer more boring, but it makes it less risky and also less mysterious. Let me just explain it using my own prayer journey as an example. I used to pray out of obedience, but I prayed without any expectancy that anything would really happen. I had a very fatalistic approach to prayer. Sort of this idea that, well, whatever is going to happen, God already knows it's going to happen, so what is my prayer going to do about it? Then I read the words of Jesus in John fourteen twelve very truly, anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have done, and I'm challenged, and somebody else was preaching on this and challenged me, do you believe what Jesus said? Do you believe that you were called to do the same works he did? Do I believe that the kingdom of God is at work in this world through spirit-filled followers of Jesus who are sent into the world as he was sent? Do I believe the words of Jesus, essentially? And so I began to tentatively pray with more expectancy. I began to believe that maybe my prayers actually mattered. And maybe when I was praying, what I was actually doing was partnering with what God already wanted to do in the world. Let me give you an example of partnering with what God already wants to do. It's from Elijah. Elijah has just had this showdown with the prophets of Baal. Talked about this a few weeks ago. Then after that, it hasn't rained for for years. And the Lord says to Elijah, I'm going to send rain. Here's what's so mysterious to me. God says to Elijah, I'm going to send rain. So what does Elijah do? He goes up to the mountain and starts praying for rain to come. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. weird. Why are you praying for rain to come if God already said the rain's going to come? And he doesn't do a half-hearted prayer. Oh, Lord, thanks for the rain that you said was going to come. He keeps on praying until evidence comes that the rain is coming. And I'm like, why? Most of us don't function like that. But he prays seven times, sending his poor servant to run down the mountain and look, run back up, run down and look, and then run back up. And finally on the seventh time, he says, I see a tiny cloud on the horizon. And I just says, okay, good, I'm done. But that is such an interesting story to me. That somehow, even though God says, I will bring rain, Elijah says, okay, then I need to pray for rain to come. Oh. So somehow our prayer is partnering with the work that God is already wanting to do in the world. And somehow we're called to pray. And so I started to believe that, you know, somehow my prayers were one of the ways in which God's will was accomplished. As weird and as mysterious as that is, I had to say that seems to be what Scripture is teaching So I remember one time as I was starting to pray with more um, expectancy and with more boldness, I received an email from a 19-year-old girl in our congregation. Maybe she was a bit younger. I think she was 19. But she had heard her back at work about a month before. And it wasn't really a major issue, but it was causing her to not sleep well. And she was really discouraged that it wasn't getting any better after about four weeks of this. And she asked, hey, could you just pray for me to be healed after service on a Sunday morning? Like, that would just be fantastic for me. And so I walked to church that Sunday morning, and I was praying for her, and I was praying for God's will to be done, and I had this scripture passage kind of pop into my mind. It's from Luke, I think, chapter 5. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. just kind of popped into my head, and suddenly I realized that this same power is now given to me through Jesus in his name. And it's not a guarantee of healing, but it does inspire me to pray with more expectancy. And that thought also came with kind of this weird physical feeling of some kind of like tingling going through me. And I thought, okay, I think God's going to do something today. And so I'm going to pray with some expectancy. So I prayed with her after the service, and she kind of felt some kind of like, whoa, that felt different. I just put my hand kind of on her back. She said, that felt different. There's something going on. I prayed that she would be healed in Jesus' name, and she was healed. She went from having kind of pretty consistent pain there to it's gone. This girl was one of a few people who experienced instant healing when I started to actually believe that prayer did something. I had, uh, we had one young woman uh, uh, who had two young children who had been diagnosed with some kind of a... It wasn't a diagnosis. They're like, yeah, something's going wrong with your back. I think it was arthritis or something was flaring up. uh, And it was making it painful for her her to even pick her children up. The doctor said, you probably shouldn't be picking your children up at all. Uh, Which is, how do you do that when you have like a one-year-old? How are you not going to pick a child up? That doesn't make any sense. But it was really causing her a lot of pain. So she was on painkillers through the day, painkillers at night to sleep. And so she asked us for prayer at one of our prayer nights. And it was an instant healing. And easily testable because she couldn't bend over or pick her child up without pain previously. And then she could. Instantly. And as she said, I I did ask for the prayer, but I didn't expect this to happen, right? Just one of those like, okay, I know I'm supposed to ask for prayer. God's going to do something, uh, but I don't know what it is, but not really expecting it to be answered like that, like instant. And these types of prayers are what I call kingdom come prayers, because that's what Jesus told his disciples. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So when we pray for things to be restored or healed or set free, this is praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I've begun to pray with more expectancy because I've seen the power of the Lord to heal and to forgive and to set people free. I've seen kingdom power at work on earth. Yet I do want to acknowledge something about praying with expectancy. When there is seemingly no answer to the prayer, it becomes even more disheartening and confusing. In some ways, when you expect nothing to happen in prayer, it protects you from ever feeling confused or disheartened in your prayer. When you pray without really expecting anything to happen, then you're not disappointed when nothing happens, because it's, after all, exactly what you expected to happen. Nothing. And you can just go about your merry way. Well, I did my due diligence. I checked that prayer one off the list, prayed that one off the list, prayed that one off the list, and I didn't really think anything would happen. Nothing did. And you just go about your life. But when we pray expecting an answer to the prayer, and it's seemingly unanswered, it actually does bring a lot of confusion and sadness. It can be really deeply discouraging. I actually think that's one of the hindrances to praying, is we all have people that we've desperately prayed for and we've gone, God, why wouldn't you answer this prayer? And, and the, the discouragement and the disheartening feeling of that is actually becomes a hindrance to our prayer. So after seeing a few people instantly and radically healed, we had a 42-year-old, I think she was 42, a mother of three children who'd been fighting cancer for a few years. She had literally hundreds of people praying for her, praying for her healing. She came to prayer meetings asking for prayer for healing. There were people filled with faith who were absolutely 100% certain the Lord will heal her. They had no doubt They were filled with faith. It wasn't, (laughs) they had lots of faith, more faith than I did. And she had hundreds of people praying for her to be healed. She was not healed in this life. I did her funeral. There was over 300 people, most of them Christians, who had prayed for years for her to be healed. And we all had to wrestle together. Why was she not healed? From our perspective, if anyone should have been healed, she should have been. To be really bluntly honest with you, a 19-year-old with a back issue, you know, if we had to pick or choose, leave the one with the back issue, heal the mom of three. So what we need to understand is that it is not God's desire for there to be sickness or death, yet we acknowledge that eternal life, that is the life that is to come, is the only place where full and complete healing will take place. I tell people, you have to remember even those people who have experienced physical healing in this life will still one day get sick or get old or have an accident and die. You're not just going to get constantly healed or, you know, things like that. If our hope is only for this life, then we are the most to be pitied. Our hope is not forever being healed in this life. It is to be with Jesus in eternity where none of these tragic things exist. So when we pray with expectancy, your kingdom come, we know God's will is ultimately going to be done. We don't know if it's going to be on this side of heaven or not. We live in this place of tension, knowing that Jesus has come. The kingdom has come with him, but it's not here in its fullness. So we have glimpses of what will occur. We witness God's kingdom coming But we understand that we're still waiting for eternity or for Jesus to come again, for all things to be put truly right, to fully reunite heaven and earth. And that's something that's not in our control. We should also recognize that sometimes in this life, God can work in our sorrow and in our suffering to bring us to deeper places of relationship or knowledge with him. There's things that can be accomplished in our souls through times of hardship and suffering that wouldn't otherwise be accomplished. I think a great example of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he's seen a bunch of people healed. He's cast demons out of people. He's seen miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And he tells the church that he had some kind of mysterious thorn in his flesh that he wanted to be removed. And he prayed three times for this thorn in his flesh to be removed. But it wasn't. What he heard in response was, the Lord say to him, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul had to let the will of the Lord be done in his life and the Lord was content at this time to leave whatever that was, that thorn in the flesh that Paul was talking about. And I bring all this up to say there is still a lot of mystery in prayer. But we are instructed to engage in this big, bold type of praying. Pray that the world be set right. And it can be hard to pray this way because sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's disheartening. Sometimes the person dies of cancer and you go, why that person? But don't let the disheartenment or the discouragement keep you from entering into this part of the prayer. Pray the big, bold prayers. Pray that the world be set right. Pray for your neighbor to be healed. Pray for the war in Israel and Gaza to to, to stop. Pray that the church in Canada would begin to see their communities experience the life-changing power of Jesus. Pray the big kingdom come prayers, even as we acknowledge there's mystery in how all of it works. That's why we say, your will be done. We're human. There's all sorts of things that I think should be done. And I'll come in in my human weakness and my human uh, lack of knowledge of all things and say, Lord, let this be done but let your will be done. I want this, and I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to pray with expectancy because I know you're hearing me, but I'm going to still let your will be done, of course. So even though I can't maybe fully explain how these kingdom prayers work, the teaching of Jesus is that we would be willing to pray bold, audacious, world-changing, life-changing prayers, knowing that these prayers are somehow a part of the work of God's kingdom on earth, And believe the truth that God is interested in putting the world right, right here, right now. Now we know that this world won't be fully put right until Jesus comes again to reunite heaven and earth. And we don't know when that's going to happen. But God's heart is still to bring his kingdom to this domain of darkness so people can be saved, healed, and delivered. So that many can come into the kingdom. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we are partnering with God in that work and believing that God has the power to do infinitely more than we might ask or think according to his power at work within us. To pray your kingdom come is to believe God has the power to change lives and change events. It's a bold prayer, but I'd invite you to step into that. I'm gonna call the worship team up as we close, but my one request of you is that you wouldn't be like how I used to be in prayer, being fatalistic, reluctant to pray with boldness because you're not really sure it does anything, but that you would see this invitation to pray, your kingdom come, is really an invitation to do the work Jesus was doing and has now commissioned us to go and do. Believe that as you pray, God is doing something. It may be unseen, it may not be what you expected, but we, he does respond. And I find the more that we're willing to pray with bold expectation the more likely we will see God do amazing things that we never expected. So to start praying your kingdom prayers, I wanna leave you with something tangible. I've got a little bit of a template you can use this week to get you thinking in this way. Practice your kingdom come praying. It uses that idea that Eugene Peterson had, that we're we're praying that what's wrong should be put right. And so I just wanna slip over to the slide there. I'll kinda show it to you. You can just, through the week, you know, at the beginning of the week, your kingdom comes. So you say, "Our Father," and you remind yourself of who you are and who God is. You're holy. You're all powerful. You're all knowing. Your kingdom come. And then you can. This is where you can kind of put the the little uh, ingredients in. What's wrong? I just was doing ones that I've been praying for through this last month: broken relationships and marriages. What's wrong? Here's a list. Set the world right. Bring truth, love, and reconciliation to marriages. Mental health crisis in teens and young adults. Holy Spirit, reveal the causes, bring hope and healing. War in Ukraine, bring an end to the death and destruction that will last. Also put in there Israel and Gaza. Many people with cancer, terminal illness, we need your healing power to be with them. And that's just, you can fill that out however you want. But that's really a your kingdom come prayer. What is wrong? What do we need to be put right? And then you can make it even more personal. You might have a neighbor, you might have a friend and you might say, Lord, am I called to pray specifically for them? Is there a burden to pray for them? So let me pray for you and and then let's worship together. Heavenly Father, you are over all things. You have compassion on all people. And we look around us and we can see the world is not right. There are so many places that are dark and there is suffering and there is needless and senseless tragedy and so father we ask now a big bold kingdom prayer would your presence be made known to those who are walking in suffering would they know that you are the god who loves and cares for them would they know that there is hope beyond this life that there is a life to come father your kingdom come For all those who are dealing in our community with sickness, with cancer specifically comes to mind, Lord, would your healing power be released upon them? But would they know that it is your healing power at work? Would your Holy Spirit be speaking to the hearts and the minds of our people? So let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.